today on Ag News Daily. It's a very large supply. And, and really, the, what will happen then is Brazil will have an extended export season. Their soybean exports will extend all the way till next October, November, which will really have an impact on U.S. demand and the new crop position next year. Well, listeners, welcome to September 29th, 2022, Thursday's edition of the Ag News Daily Pod- Podcast, brought to you by Performance Livestock Analytics, helping you work smarter on your cattle operation. Visit performancelivestockanalytics.com to request your demo. Tanner Winterhoff here, joined virtually by Delaney Howell. How is Delaney today? I'm good. How are you, Tanner? Your voice sounds very official this morning. It's official every day. It's just maybe, maybe I would have been practicing my, uh, news anchor voice. I think you have. Uh huh. Little, uh, channel, little inner newscaster. Yeah, I think it sounds good. Are you still in Texas? I am. And thankfully I'm not on the East Coast today, Tanner, because we've seen Hurricane Ia, Hurricane Ian. I keep wanting to say Hurricane Ida, but we're past that one. Hurricane Ian has officially hit landfall as of about, I think, 5 a.m. this morning. And we're seeing quite a few areas go without power. Uh, we're seeing winds continue to pick up damage or continue to pick up speed across a 415 mile swath of the state. And of course, President Biden has declared a major disaster for the state. And Governor DeSantis gave an update from the State Emergency Operations Center in Tallahassee this morning. The I saw a photo on, um, I think it was on Facebook. It might have been on Twitter. I can't remember a lot right now. But last night I was scrolling through social media and saw Tanner. I think it was something crazy like 40,000 or 60,000 trucks waiting to be deployed if and when people lose power. Yeah, there is a lot stationed. I got into a wormhole on TikTok last night, you know, combined those that were a part of the electrical force headed down there documenting what they're doing and homeowners that decided to stay in their properties and weather the storm. Saw a lady who had blown up a inflatable pool and was sitting in that in her living room, floating two feet off of the floor due to how high the water levels were. So she had her fridge floating in one and she was floating in another um, as she planned to weather the storm. A lot of people staying on second and third story buildings. Uh, I just can't believe that decision, Delaney, to, to decide to hunker down. Uh, Sheriff's Department in... Lee County states that they fear hundreds are dead. They know that thousands are, are out of power. Um, there are thousands more that need rescued. Uh, unfortunately, there were more than he had hoped that decided to try to weather the storm on boats, whether they are in harbors uh, or just off of the coast. Of course, we talked Wednesday afternoon is when the hurricane made landfall as a Category 4 had gusts up to 185 mile per hour winds, but uh, now more than 2.5 Florida, 2.5 million Florida homes are without power is the most recent report that I have seen, Delaney. That is quite a few folks, Tanner, that are without power. So thoughts and prayers going out to those folks for sure. Did you know how tropical storms get their names, Delaney? I feel like we've talked about this before, but I was just thinking, what was that answer? Yeah, so the World Meteorological 
organization. That's a mouthful. Out of Geneva is where the naming comes from. The National Hurricane Center started in 1953 using female names for Atlantic storms and male names uh, into the Pacific storms. But that changed in 1979. Male and female names alternated throughout the alphabet. So Ian being a male name, the next storm would have a female name. The storm has to have sustained winds of more than 39 miles per hour before it gets named. And then as a hurricane, it has to reach more than 74 miles per hour. So we are at Ian. The next storm would be Julia, followed by Carl, followed by Lisa and Martin. And it looks like, according to predictions, those all could brew up before the end of October. Hmm. Okay. That's interesting. I had forgotten the piece about Atlantic versus other storms with the male versus female name. Well, that's that changed in 1979. Now it's just okay. alternated by oh. via the alphabet. Gotcha. Okay. Now I'm following. Well, interesting. Yeah. Interesting to us because we're not having to live through it. Although I saw another meme or something on social media yesterday that said, Floridians are used to this at this point and are having parties where, while the rest of us are frantically watching and calling and trying to get a hold of family and friends that live down there while they're all just having a party because they're used to it at this point. I was trying to make light yeah. of the situation, I think. but Right. I saw lots of comparisons to tornadoes in the Midwest or you go out on your front porch and you watch it until you're immediately well, that's in true. danger. Yeah, that's yeah. a good, good comparison there, I suppose. But Moving on with some additional news here, Tanner, the investment controversy going on in North Dakota, of course, related to the Chinese corn mill project awaits national security review from CIFIUS. That's quite the acronym there. But of course, on the northern edge of Grand Forks, North Dakota is where they're wanting to put this new Chinese facility. And we've already seen lots of picketers and folks protesting that they don't want this project to come to Grand Forks area. And after talks with local economic development leaders last year, uh, we saw Chinese food processors launch plans to build this $700 million, 25 million bushel wet corn milling plant that could potentially make quite a few different products. But the farmland being converted for the mill, which is about 12 miles east of the Grand Forks air base, is some primary ground, it sounds like here, Tanner. And a lot of folks are not happy about that, of course, as well as just having a Chinese foreign investment of this size and stature in the United States. So on Tuesday, we saw 50 Republican House members wrote to President Biden and the cabinet members asking for a reconsideration and saying that, quote, an alarming development for our national security uh, was definitely at play here. And so we're seeing lawmakers really actively uh, rally against having this facility put in place. And so the CIFIUS is the Committee on Foreign Investments in the United States, and that is currently where the corn mill is sitting under review, and they're asking those folks to make a decision against allowing it. Yeah, we had seen headlines about this, I think, in early June, and then it went quiet, so it's no surprise that it is sparked back up again. Another area here 
with more news is, of course, the Nord Stream pipeline. It is now reported a fourth leak. The out of Stockholm, the fourth leak on the Nord Stream has been reported off the Swedish coast. The Swedish Coast Guards are reporting here Thursday morning. They now have leaks in two positions. Uh, they are stating here two of the leaks on Nord Stream 1. Recently, it had been shut down from supplying gas. Delaney, you had reported on that. The other two on, are on Nord Stream 2, so that is two per line. They are not running. The pipelines will were filled with gas, and that's what Maui is escaping to the surface in the water. The pipelines were meant to transport gas through the Baltic Sea from Russia to Germany. They are stating that more than likely these are due to sabotage, but a lot of people are stating they want to wait before accusations are made until an investigation is completed. However, there were reported explosions. Uh, the first explosion was recorded by seismologists early on Monday, southeast of the Danish island Borholm. A second stronger blast northeast of the island that night was the equivalent of a 2.3 magnitude earthquake. Seismic stations in Denmark, Norway, and Finland also registered those explosions. So there is more than likely some sabotage to happen, but a lot of pointed fingers, Delaney, as nobody really wants to say who it was until the investigation gets further down yeah, the road. Did, what did you see on Twitter yesterday? That was oh, a speculation. Seen, right. I had seen a, a lot of different things. Of course, the obvious speculation is that it was Russian caused because they have the most to benefit. But there were some swirling rumors about the U.S. involvement in this uh, as well. But quite an interesting thing to see the list of countries that could potentially be with even China being thrown into the mix. Mm. Well, Tina, it appears that we're not out of the woods yet when it comes to the U.S. railway strike. I thought we were done here and that folks had reached an agreement, but it appears that's certainly not the case. Although a, a strike was largely avoided at this point in time, a lot of uncertainty remains as those union leaders and groups are still working to ratify the deal. Of the 12 different unions, a good handful have rejected the current ratification status of the deal. Two have approved. A couple are voting this week and uh, some are voting sometime this week. So certainly not out of the woods there. And we could still see a strike yet. Uh, meanwhile, we're seeing the Midwest drought take its toll on barge traffic down the Mississippi River, of course, during the most key time of year to see grain moving. But very low water levels have reduced the volume of grain that can be hauled down the barge way by about 38 percent, Tanner. Yeah, that uh, is certainly not going to bode well as harvest continues to approach. Let's take a quick pause here before we continue our conversation for a message from today's sponsor. Do you know your break-even for every group of cattle on feed? Performance beef users have quick access to real-time, accurate data. The technology simplifies feeding to financial data, making it easy to generate real-time closeouts, update rations, or analyze performance trends, all in one place. Your feed, financial, and health information are integrated into one easy-to-use platform, accessible from your computer, smartphone, or tablet. Find Performance Beef online to learn more and request a demo. Well, the California governor could probably use some of the performance livestock analytics technology as they look to combat their state's estimated more than 400,000 population of feral hogs. However, Governor Gavin Newsom 
in a surprising move, passed the bill 856 with unanimous support from both the state Senate and assembly to allow licensed hunters to kill an unlimited number of wild hogs. This new law also lowers the tag prices for hog hunting and seeks to legalize the hunting of wild hogs at night. The law also prohibits the intentional release of a pig to live in the wilds. Delaney, quite a contradictory law here as uh, California has continued to push for cageless animals, confinementless animals, as far as that goes. And now as they become a nuisance, such as a wild hog, all bets are off. So very controversy, controversial article there, but a little bit of a surprise coming out of California. The other thing that could help producers in the Midwest is the USDA's announcement on helping with grain bin and grain storage reconstruction following national disasters. These national disasters include tornadoes and derechos that struck down rural communities in the last couple of years. Grain storage facilities affected by 2021 and 2022 natural disasters in Kentucky, Minnesota, and South Dakota, as well as surrounding areas, now have access to more than $20 million in government fundings. These funds will be made available through the Commodity Credit Corporation, the program we use primarily to support producers and groups of producers in their efforts to rebuild and build new storage capacity and extend and help extend the shortage of bin space. So Delaney, quite interesting. You can look at the maps on the USDA's website as to where you would be eligible, but this does not include the state of Iowa for the 2020 derecho. Mm, Okay. Well, Tanner, I'm sure you have some insight to add to this story, but China's central bank has asked their banks to sell the U.S. dollar and buy yuan in an effort to support their currency. The Chinese currency is currently down 11% this year against the U.S. dollar, which is the biggest decline we've seen since 1994. And the U.S. GDP report update this morning confirmed another decline of a six-tenths of a percent move downward. Uh, two negative consecutive quarters of growth here are technically the definition of recession, as we know, and thought that was interesting that uh, China is making that move. How does that increase their local currency, Tanner, by buying the U.S. dollar or selling the U.S. dollar and buying the yuan? Yeah. So if you if you look at and compare it to commodities, say the U.S. dollar is corn and the yuan is soybeans. The same thing would happen in a typical buy low, sell high. You'd be selling the U.S. dollar at record high levels and buying the yuan low. But obviously, the more purchased contracts is going to drive up the value of that. So if you all of a sudden had a flood of contracts coming into the corn market at $5, you would see $7 corn very shortly just due to the amount of trading that could happen. So it's all looking for volume-based inflated values rather than a true economic-based dollar equation. I don't know if it's going to work, but that's about the only way you could then bring value to that currency. And obviously, the more value in the currency, the stronger the local economy is going to be for that nation that uses that currency. I don't know if that helped, but that that gives you a little bit of an insight. Yeah, I think that helped me. Well, I got one last story before we jump into markets today. I report on ethanol each week. Unfortunately, ethanol output is even lower yet. So we've been setting lows for the year. Now it drops to the lowest in almost seven months. It plunged 
to an average of 855,000 barrels per day in the week that ended September 2000 or September 23, 2022. That's down from 901,000 barrels per day last week. Stockpiles, meanwhile, went up. So we knew kind of a little bit based upon the last couple of weeks that demand was decreasing. Those stockpiles rose to 22.6 million barrels per day compared to 22.5. So production probably declining just due to the lack of demand. But we will see now as harvest kicks off if ethanol production will ramp back up. Before we get into the markets, though, I need one more pause from our sponsor for today. How do you manage data for your cattle business? Stop relying on pen and paper or complicated programs. Get real-time access from anywhere with Performance Beef. Update rations, generate real-time closeout reports, record health data at the chute, in the pen, or pasture, or analyze performance trends all in one place with ease. Your feed, financial, and health information is integrated into one easy-to-use platform, accessible from your computer, smartphone, or tablet. Find Performance Beef online to learn more and request a demo. Well, Tanner, as we dive into the markets here this morning, I first wanted to go over quickly some highlights that folks are expecting to see on tomorrow's quarterly grain stocks report, which of course comes out at 11 a.m. Central Time. We're really not expecting to see too many surprises here, but ending stocks of U.S. corn and soybeans are really what traders are going to be watching because it does seem a surprise, while not expected, is always possible. According to a Dow Jones survey of 17 analysts and firms, they're expecting to have USDA peg the corn on hand stocks number at a 1.497 billion bushels as of September 1st, up from the previous year, but a little below their September estimate. Uh, September was the estimate, I should say. Soybean wise, expecting to see a 247 million bushel beans on hand as of September 1st, a little more than the September WASD estimate as well. And as far as wheat goes, wheat stocks are not ending stocks and will tell us how demand went in the first quarter of the new marketing year, expecting to see a 1.795 billion bushels of wheat on hand as of September 1st. And we'll just have to wait and see, Tanner, because like I said there, you never really know. We're not expecting to see surprises, but it seems like the USDA always has to throw something our way. Yeah, certainly. And then looked like markets opened up today. Of course, I think that came on the news of maybe some larger exports than usual. I think Mexico came in and bought some somewhere north of 500,000 bushel of corn during the week. But what do markets look like today? Yes, certainly trading some of that export news from this morning's export report. But markets are largely trading flat in the corn market here this morning, trading right around a quarter of a cent higher. So fighting to claw their way higher here in the bull market. 670, 671 is right where we're trading here as of the opening. Uh, new crop soybeans are really the winner this morning in the grain markets, trying, trading up about five, five and a half cents higher at 1414. December Chicago wheat down about 10 cents on the morning here at the midday at 893. And in the livestock pits today, we're seeing some weakness mostly in the cattle complex as the December live cattle contract is down about 37 and a half cents on the morning at 145.90. 
November feeders down 85 cents at a buck 74.42 and lean hogs clawing their way into some positive territory this morning as the December lean hog contract up a buck 80 on the morning at 77.62 and a half. Dana, that's what the markets are doing this morning. Let's chat about what's going on in South America today with Dan Bassey. Well, listeners, we're super excited to have Dan Bassey, president of Ag Resources Company, on today to discuss a little bit about South America with us. Dan, thanks for joining. Oh, you're welcome. Enjoy. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. So before we jump into the topic at hand, give our listeners a little bit of your background and what makes you qualified to talk about this topic with us. Oh, my God. I've been in the commodity business now since 1979. I'm not sure how many years that is. I think it's about 43 or 44 um, I've been a, I've been an economist the whole time, an ag economist. Uh, uh, we uh, produce uh, research for uh, customers for everywhere from the farmer up to the country basis. And so I go around the world speaking and trying to help farmers make better decisions. So uh, we have a staff, we have offices in Chicago, Sao Paulo and Geneva. Awesome. So jumping right into it, we know that Brazil is starting off their planting. What's the outlook for this crop? It is really fairly good. I mean, right now, Brazilian farmers are geared up to plant a record large soybean crop. We would estimate it to be about 151 million metric tons. Just to put it in perspective for the U.S. uh, here, Brazil will plant about 104 and a half or 105 million acres of soybeans. That's compared to about 87 million here in the United States. So by far, it is the largest crop in the world. If there's a 5% yield deviation up or down, it amounts to 7.5 million tons, nearly 220 million bushels of soybeans. So weather in the upcoming growing season for South America is going to be very important. Awesome. So I have heard a lot about the weather patterns in South America. Is there any news you know of of this La Nina pattern breaking soon? Well, La Nina is forecast to break somewhere in the January, February timeframe. What I'd remind everybody is there's never been back-to-back droughts for the first crop. Now, remember, Brazil plants four crops down there, so there's four crop cycles. The first crop cycle starts around September 15th, and then will run till about February 15th. So for that first crop cycle of corn and soybeans, there's never been back-to-back droughts. Then we move into Saprina, and then there's another corn crop and another soy corn crop after that. So there's multiplicities of crops in Brazil, but this first one is the biggest. And at least at this point, it looks relatively favorable. This event of La Nina should produce dryness. Looks like it'll be centered across Argentina. Uh, But again, remember, Argentinian farmers can plant soybeans or corn up until the middle of January. So they've got a long window here before it becomes a yield or production question. So for production... Numbers, according to the last crop, how do those compare to this favorable outlook on this crop being planted right now? Well, the last Brazilian soybean crop is pegged by USDA at about 125 million metric tons. So this crop will be 26 or 27 million tons larger. If I include Paraguay and Argentina and assume they they have normalities in terms of weather, we would be looking at an extra 43 million metric tons of soybeans. So it's a large amount. Uh, uh, you know, in, in bushel terms, that's one point, almost 1.6 billion bushels of soybeans. It's a very large supply. And, and really the, what will happen then is Brazil will have an extended export season. Their soybean exports will extend all the way till next October, November. 
which will really have an impact on U.S. demand in the new proposition next year. So speaking of those exports, we know that Ukraine's exports are going to be down quite a bit because of the conflict and production issues there. What impact is that going to have on Brazil and Argentina's export market? Well, Brazil and Argentina are both stepping up to be sizable exporters of things that uh, Argent- uh, our friends in Ukraine are not, mostly corn. Ukrainians will struggle with wheat, but the Russians are blessed with a very big wheat crop of around 100 to 101 million metric tons. So they will try to push as much wheat out the door, Russia that is, at a very cheap price. Then we've seen Argentina and Brazil really step up in terms of corn exports. Brazilian corn corn offers today, or this would be in the export market, we call it free on board or FOB, are about 65 cents cheaper than in the U.S. Gulf. And in terms of Argentina, it's 95 cents cheaper a bushel. So Argentina and Brazil have been big in terms of satisfying that demand that Ukraine cannot. So once we get our crop harvested, what is supplies going to look like? How tight will it be and how will the markets react? Well, we need to decide what supply tightness will be. We do have a stocks in all positions report this Friday that'll delineate what old crop stocks were for the 21-22 crop year on corn and soybeans. And then we've got a crop production report on the 12th of October, which will give us a very good estimate because we'll have field surveys from NAS that have pulled ears or pulled pods. So we'll have some weights that'll go behind it. And that'll give us a very good estimate of what U.S. soy and corn soybean production will be. So as you think about that going forward, uh, what's important in all of that is that once we get those supplies delineated, then it takes another weather problem in South America if you are going to have some issues for the marketplace to move substantially higher. World demand at the moment, because of rising interest rates, the strength of the dollar is not very healthy. World wheat demand in the first quarter of the crop year was down about 19%. So we're seeing similar trends in corn and soybeans. So these are things we need to be worried about relative to the strong dollar. So if there are any supply rallies due to either the stocks report or the production report in October, U.S. farmers should be looking, taking advantage of that sales opportunity. And diving into more things to worry about or keep an eye on, how important geopolitically is this election coming in October for Brazil? Well, it's very big. I mean, you've got a very right-leaning president currently in place named Bolsonaro going up against another Brazilian president who's uh, within the last year and a half gotten out of jail named Lula. Lula claims he was framed in terms of his jail sentence. But if you talk to Brazilians, it's really left-leaning or very right. And so the, the population down there is very split. The polls today show that it's pretty much a dead heat, though, Depending upon you who you're talking to down there, they're going to give you some some elbow uh, nudging in terms of which candidate they favor. But it, for the marketplace, Lula would be seen as somebody who would cause the real to drop. By that, I'm saying the, uh, the that the Brazilian currency would fall on his spending habits, which are heretofore known looking backwards. But also, he has a lot of social welfare programs. Bolsonaro has been trying to cut the deficit with Brazil, though interest rates are still high in Brazil. He is seen as something that probably helps the real. So I'm not sure what Brazilian farmers would want. They kind of like Bolsonaro, but at the same standpoint, a weakening real helps their profitability. So the real today sitting at about 5.2 to 1 is near the historic highs. But I would imagine if uh, Lula gets elected that we could see the real at new highs, maybe closer to 6 to 1 should that election come forward. Now, we only have the first run of that election being in early October. If there's not a clear winner, 
at, at that point, and it's unlikely there will be. There will be some runoffs going forward. We'll see it all falls out, but the polls today are saying it's a dead heat, and so it's hard from the market's perspective to have any ideas of which will which will win, either left or right, and it's something we'll be watching carefully. Well, Dan, we appreciate your perspective and expertise on all of these different questions. And if our listeners want to reach out to you to learn any more about South America or other work that you do, how can they find you? Well, it's always good to look at agresource.com. It's our website. They can always find us there. Our research available is relatively cheaply. We have a staff of economists that try to help people make good decisions. And as I said, AgResource has been doing it for 35 years. So anything we can do is always appreciated. Well, Dan, thank you so much for joining us. It's been great. You get the same on your end. Thank you very much. It's always good to provide our listeners with a lot of perspective. I think that's something that we've been working really hard to do, whether it's from the coasts of the United States, something here in the middle, and now outside of our borders. So a fun conversation. Thanks, Cassidy, for putting that one together. Yeah, absolutely. Dan's always been a good resource to talk South America. So We'll definitely have to have him back on sometime soon, Tanner. But we're going to have lots of great guests scheduled here for the next couple of weeks, folks. We've been working really hard to plan things in advance and get some timely topics out there. So make sure and hit subscribe so you get pinged when those new episodes are dropped. Tanner, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.